0: Welcome to the Garden Path Podcast, life lessons and conversations from the garden. Hi, I'm your host, Misty Little, and this is the last guest episode of season four. So how is your garden going? As we close out April here in Texas, I must say it's been a rather mild spring so far, and I am here for it. I am so happy for this. It won't be long before we're into the high 90s, every day with high humidity and dripping sweat, so I am okay with where we're at right now. Over the weekend, we had our first five monarchs eclose from their chrysalis. And as I mentioned in earlier episodes, I did not keep them in a tent this spring, but instead kind of kept them corralled into a certain area of the garden so I could easily feed them and keep an eye on them. Now that most have gone off to pubate, I've been trying to find out where they go. Some have been elusive, but others have been found tucked under plants or on the side of a trash can, or the siding of my house, or the backside of a bag of leaves from the compost pile, or under the potting bench, or on the side of pots under the potting bench in the storage area. And I have no idea where a lot of them have been going, but I'm sure they're around sneakily camouflaged in the garden. And I did have a few dye in chrysalis, which happens, but I haven't gotten too worked up about that yet. So speaking of monarchs, my guest today is David Orr from the husband and wife team at Blue Astro Studio. If you've seen their cat person sticker or their monarch butterfly chrysalis pen, then you know exactly who I'm talking about. If you're unfamiliar with Blue Astro Studio, as I was up until this last Christmas, they are an art studio and creative design firm based out of Bloomington, Indiana. I came across their work when when Brad Grimm of Grow Milkweed Plants showed off some of his swag that he had purchased, and once I took a deep dive into their shop, I found myself filling up a cart full of art. Passionate about the environment and outdoor world, David and Ginny create pieces of art that invoke their spirit of conservation. In this episode, we talk about how the studio was founded, their collaborations with various nonprofits, and a bit about the natural history of Indiana and their garden. I'll have links to where you can find David and Jenny online in the show notes for the episode. Just a note on the audio, I had to record on my phone and not with my good mic that I typically use because I was having computer issues. And uh, so I'm a little bit quieter in this episode than David is. And also there was a couple of times, well, throughout the episode, you can kind of hear like some little fade out thing. I'm not sure if that had to do with the connection or, or what was going on with that. So I do apologize. The quality isn't the best, but you can still listen to the episode and get all the great information out of it. As I mentioned earlier, this is the last guest episode for the season. I'll have one more episode winding down the season before I take a rest for the summer. I always need it. I always need to recharge and I come back in the fall feeling so much better about the podcast than I do when I end it. I will be reposting episodes from seasons one through three this summer. So if you've not gone through the back catalog of the podcast, this will be your chance to hear some older episodes with some possibly embarrassing intros on my part. I haven't decided if I'm gonna go through and edit those intros or just hope for the best in a repost, which is probably what I'm gonna do because I don't know about putting too much work into all of that. Okay, you can find me at thegardenpathpodcast.com, thegardenpathpodcast at gmail.com if you wanna drop me an email, And I'm on Instagram at The Garden Path Podcast. All right, now on to the episode. Oh, well, yeah, I first came across you guys back in December. Um, I'm sure you guys are familiar with Brad Grimm of Grow Milkweed Plants. Yeah. He had had shared some of your work and I was just kind of like, oh my gosh, you guys are so awesome. So, (laughs) and I've been, uh, I guess, a fan ever since. So I'm glad you are uh, interested in coming on the podcast. Yeah,
1: definitely. Yeah. I've listened to a few episodes since you reached out, and I, I like it quite a bit. So, good, good. Mutual yeah, admiration society.
0: Yes. <laughs> uh, well, I guess we you want to start by introducing yourself and uh, and Blue Aster Studio, and you know maybe a little bit about, bit about you guys.
1: Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I'm David Orr of Blue Aster Studio. Um, I run this business with my wife, Granny. Um, it's like one. One part of our crazy patchwork of income sources, um, and we both grew up in northern Indiana, um, and have kind of always, kind of always collaborated with each other on various things. And this is the first sort of formal thing where we were like, "Hey, let's make a go at working together and doing this." Um, so that has been about three years ago, and still going strong.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I saw you have a background in art. Does Ginny mm-hmm. have the same thing, or how did you guys bring no, her? She, uh,
1: she uh, doesn't have as much of a background in art. She was uh, involved in theater and stuff like that, but not visual arts. Um, and she likes to, I mean, she always tells people that she's the idea person, um, which she does have more good ideas than I do. <laughs> um, so that's, it's a real collaboration where, like, and we'll brainstorm things together, or often we'll come to, to the other with, a, with an idea and kind of figure out the right way to, to make it work. And especially, it's, um, it's really helpful to, to work with, some, you know, with a partner like Jenny to establish sort of something, some sort of a cohesive look for everything so it's not all over the map. Um, that's a pretty important part of how we work together as well.
0: Right. Well, because all of your work is very nature based yeah. um, and I guess what is your background on that? How did you guys come to come to this direction
1: mm-hmm. um that was that was kind of the the seed of the whole thing was um, you know we we both have this passion for the environment, and you know if we live a fairly uh stripped down like frugal lifestyle but where we put our money is like whenever we can travel and you know take road trips out to the national parks and of course we have plenty of places to explore here so we um that that just seemed to be a good fit because we have it, our enthusiasm is matched up pretty well for that so um you know, when we had kind of like been involved on in social media, you know, following various nature people and really enjoying a lot of the the efforts of people that like uh Gwen Pearson, um, also known as Bug Gwen, who, you know, uses a lot of humor and I guess people, you know, interested in I mean, she turned me on to a lot of insects and little critters I didn't know and like people like that kind of inspired us to be like, yeah, I think we could, we could engage with this community and learn and and share some fun things um, that are also like coming from our experience in nature. So, right. Yeah. You know, it's kind of how it all coalesced. It's kind of a blur, but I think that is kind of the... <laughs>
0: right. Um, okay. Well, I guess maybe then we can go... And jump around a little bit then we'll go back okay. to i mean so you're in indiana i think it's a state most people just drive on through oh, yeah. wow. <laughs> they're not thinking that there's a lot of natural history and you know i was perusing your Flickr page and i was actually kind of just like wow i was actually stunned because i've only been i went to indianapolis once for a friend's wedding and yeah. literally drove to from galveston three other friends to her wedding over a three day weekend in college and then back. So I have like zero in yeah. you know, real experience there. So it was very, I was stunned by everything that I saw. So maybe you could talk about, I guess that, like how you guys got into nature in Indiana, what's Indiana like and um, yeah, how that inspires you guys.
1: Yeah. So, so like I said, we both grew up in Northern Indiana, which is the, uh, I'm going like, to like my geology nerd, a little bit here. And that's like the glaciated, flattened part of it. You know, the glaciers came through and, and left us with all this very fertile soil. Um, and there was some, you know, of course, was uh, colonized and developed. Um, there used to be some extensive wetlands up there, but, you know, it's pretty much corn and and in suburbs and little towns. Um, and some interesting, you know, there's interesting stuff like farmers will find, you know, mammoths bones and stuff like that and they're cold and by the lake is quite beautiful uh, lake michigan uh, sorry i know not everybody knows
0: yeah
1: <laughs> off the lake um and then once you get down south of indy and in i-70 um down to where the glaciers stopped you have this beautiful rugged landscape that was created by the erosion of uh that was eroded by all the the melting glacial water like when the Glaciers melted. Um, so down in this part of the state where we've lived for uh, 14, 15 years now, <laughs> um, it's quite there's quite a lot of really interesting geology and and rugged terrain, um, interesting little pockets of places where there's you know there's like little pockets of hemlocks that are growing in the wild here because they're on the right you know face of a slope. Um, to be preserved uh, where else they're not anywhere else in the state or down near Evansville, um, very bottom tip of Indiana, there's some cool cypress swamps. Um, so there's just, you know, I mean, I think any place, once you dig into it, you find those those interesting things you might have over, you know, not even expected. Um, and I, I think certainly the south of Indiana is, is the most surprising part to people who, who aren't from here.
0: Right right so um you're working in art and you began this business what was your first first thing that you put together
1: uh let's see very first thing when we started I had been I'd been freelancing for various PR companies and sometimes we would you know I'd hook up with somebody online, like a researcher, and I would end up doing a little thing for them, and that was kind of what we thought we would do purely when we started it. Because Jenny's got a real good, um, I guess, and you know, if we were an actual firm, he'd be like the um, like the creative director, someone who can like take me out of my head and say, okay, that's that's cool, but. To uh, a, you know the general audience, they're not kind of quite understand. <laughs> you know, something I'm real nerdy about. So um, we figured we'd be a good team for that, and we are a good team for doing that. Um, so we, we started by doing just at, at our launch, we were just like, okay, let's come up with some cool just social media things. Out. And we did like um, a set of graphics that coincide with Shark Week that that year that we started. Um, I just did some little illustrations of sharks, picked picked five or six, like, sharks we thought were cool, and, and did little factoid sort of Instagram posts. And during that summer, like, just had a few things like that. But that, I think that the sharks thing was the very first thing we did, actually.
0: All right. And I guess I should guess back up, to a little bit. It's like your process is you guys do a lot of silk screening, but mm-hmm. is it a lot of digital work as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm mainly um, mainly work digitally. I have um, sketchbooks that are, you know, filled with little drawings and things that which I'll I don't, you know, it's like I will sketch out an idea and get the forms basically right and, and the line work and maybe a little shading, but then I'll basically do all the finishing digitally. Um, I'll often like just take a picture with my phone and then throw it into Adobe Illustrator and, and work it up into a finish um and it's the same thing with silk screens um you know for that you're basically creating color stencils and however complicated you want it to make it's just how many color layers you want to put down so i'll usually work up the general idea in in sketchbook and uh, like for composition and just you know like for our fawns that we just released uh, you know look at lots of pictures of deer uh, some of my pictures some just from online and, and kind of sketch out cool poses and compositions. And then just figure out what colors I, you know, or how many colors we'd want to put down and just make, draw those layers out in Adobe Illustrator. I kind of, I'd like to do a, a how to or like a process video of it. Because, um, I think I've come up with a unique
0: way to do it, which
1: is also just kind of me stumbling through and figuring yeah. it out. It's a way of prepping. Or screen printing that I hadn't really ever seen before so um we hope to do some like share some more like process videos and things like that yeah soonish
0: <laughs> right so I guess what is Jenny? I mean you said she's kind of your creative director sort yeah. of person but is she creating any of the art as well or is she more helping she'll, on the other aspects
1: yeah she'll sometimes like sketch ideas out like You know, she'll draw the stick figure version of a B, and and you know, general idea of where text might be. Um, uh, but that's pretty much the extent of it uh, as far as what she's doing art-wise. And of course, like I was saying, like Will, um, she gives great feedback, and um, you know, it can be anything from you know fonts that we're working with, or you know, layout kind of things, how things are balanced. Um, or sometimes, like, I remember one time I was drawing, I was drawing a bee, and she's like, eh, it's getting a little bit scary looking. I don't know. <laughs> um, so that kind of stuff. And then also, like, um, she's she's really uh, interested in kind of the marketing aspect of it and, like, kind of building the community around it and engaging with people. She loves, like, she's a re- she ch- she's, like, a very chatty person, and so she'll, like, like, when we did the Wildlife Rehabbers Association meeting a few weeks ago, Um, I mean, it was just she was just constantly chatting with the rehabbers who would come up. Like, I'm sitting there drawing ideas out, and like because that's how I spend my time at the table, and she's just constantly there, <laughs> with cool ideas. So, she had, like, a whole notebook full of cool ideas to do, when we got done with that conference.
0: <laughs> so, you guys have no shortage of work for the next 10 years.
1: Yeah, I mean... <laughs> If only we could only work on our stuff, it would might take five, but yeah, I think and years is a conservative estimate.
0: <laughs> right, right. Well, I guess on that, I mean, since it is kind of a side business, um mm-hmm. I, I guess how much how much effort are you guys putting into this every week? And and you sell on Etsy and mm-hmm. but you also do like side commissions, um, I guess what's the proportion uh
1: yeah, we, I mean, we fit in, and I mean, it's really, like, uh, what Jenny works on. Uh, she has a couple of, like, she does some dog sitting and stuff like that, dog walking and uh, some babysitting and stuff like that. But then, like, fulfillment of orders, promotion online, uh, researching conferences and, and, and meetings we might be able to table at, like, all that stuff um, kind of fills her time up, and, um, and then we'll have meetings. We try to do at least a, a weekly meeting to plan uh, ideas out. And then right now, I have a crazy schedule because I'm kind of transitioning out of being an adjunct professor at Indiana University and into being a graphic designer on their staff uh, in one of the departments. So it's been it's been like kind of a crazy semester for me, yeah. just fitting in art whenever I can. Right and uh, yeah, ideally, I mean, like we've talked about this, talked about it to death. Like, ideally, we would love to just do Blue Master full time. And it's certainly grown organically from where it, where we started. We didn't expect to do as well with Etsy as we did pretty quickly. And then we've had a couple significant kind of steps up, um, coinciding with our anniversary, our one year anniversary of launching the shop, and then. When we did, when we started doing tabling at physical events and meeting people in person, we've seen another big bump. That's kind of been the last six months. Uh, so it's like we could see it happening, and it's already a more meaningful, like part of like our livelihood. Um, but it, it's just not quite to <laughs> full time yes. status. But it's definitely like a a heavy part time <laughs> hourly commitment <laughs> every every.
0: Well, I think you guys have such a unique look. I mean, that's I think one thing that grabbed me is I mm. saw I saw the work and I was just like it's so distinctive um and different that you know when people see it I think they were like that's Blue Aster Studio. They're they're not going to you know have to think in their head like I don't know who that is. It looks such like, you know, everybody else. It's it's different. So That's
1: good to know. That that kind of happens accidentally and it's hard for especially hard for me to see uh Um,
0: Yeah,
1: Jenny Jenny has also said she's confident about the uniqueness of what we're doing so that is another data point
0: (laughs) Um, well I guess what are some of your favorite pieces that you've created so far
1: yeah we we have a few that like are both personal favorites but also seem to have struck a chord Um, um, there's the cat person design which is a a sticker and we also do a, a one and a half inch button out of that, uh, just because it has a, a humorous kind of aspect to it. Because most people think cat person, you know. Yeah. And we're talking about people who are freaking out about collecting, you know, caterpillars and raising them and helping them along. <laughs> um, and I don't know that that it just came together very well and feels just like a very um, well like realized piece. We're both into that a lot. Um, yeah. The Cherish Wild Things design that we did, which is a sticker, and then it's also available as an art print. Um, we're both really proud of that one as well, because it was, I think, really, like, it was a, uh, the first, like, kind of more intricate thing that we, we put together. And, like, I think there is a cohesiveness to it where we're, we're Focusing on prairie plants and animals and, um, I don't know, just kind of like the intricacy and, and colorful kind of nature of it is sort of very satisfying and and people, people really like it. So, right. Yeah. And then I I think Jenny especially loves our, our colored sparrow screen, uh, screen print. Um, because the color, mainly how the, well, the colors came together. I'm, I'm really proud of it as well. Um, but, like, she has a, uh, she will often, when we're screen printing, like, she'll be the one mixing colors and figuring out combos, and just, she nailed it on that one. I think it's, she's very proud of that, because I think that was one of the first ones where she's like, yeah, this is kind of what I saw in my head, and, like, seeing it come together layer by layer, and then the final product is very, very satisfying.
0: Okay. So, you guys printing up all of your work right after, you, right as you can see, i like, not right as you conceive it, but like say you you make your first print, are you doing like a batch of thirty right there, or do you print as on demand? Yeah,
1: we. I mean, for screen printing, we, we're getting as many as we can, and it was a it's a trial and error process. of you know, environmental conditions like humidity can affect how the ink goes down. Sometimes the screens just are, uh, you know, the emulsion on the screen just isn't bad enough, and it can kind of start breaking down. So that there can be just some disappointment, but um, yeah, you know, we always are trying like once, once we get rolling to get um, at least 30, uh, you know, 30 of each color uh, or, you know, 30, 30 to start with. And then with each color, you know, you might have a few duds, you might get whittled down to 20 or so. But, you know, that's usually the usually the goal is get 20 to 30. Right. Be-
0: so I guess an aspect that would be like collect it now because those won't be printed again
1: um yeah i mean some of them will some of them we have like our our turkey vultures i think we've done a couple runs of that one um yeah there's other it, it right now it's a limited amount of time because you have to like i'm using uh since i'm on faculty at the university i'm able to use their stop to, to prep some things and you have a washout booth because you it's a messy process. You have to wash out your screens when you're done. So yeah. it can be like a week between like having the stuff ready, prepping the screens and then actually printing. So um, we're right now just trying, we have such a backlog of cool ideas, especially <laughs> doing a meeting and like uh, the wildlife rehabbers and everybody's like passionate about certain things. And you hear a lot of feedback. It's like oh, a lot of people are really into rabbits. Which I didn't necessarily expect. I love rabbits, but then it's like, okay, maybe we should uh, look into like what kind of photos we have of rabbits and see.
0: So. Right.
1: I don't know when you know. It's kind of hard. It's always just sort of uh, we're always kind of flying by the seat of our pants but as far as like what we're what we're prepping to 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 print. So right. it's not hopeless. Some things will get reprinted, but
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: <no. laughs> Well,
0: that's (laughs) that was my thought when i saw everything i was like i know sometimes these prints are like one of a kind and you can really and they have limited runs and i'm like yeah i need to buy all of the all of my favorites right now
1: right i mean people should definitely buy all of them right
0: now well yeah of course (laughs) support the (laughs) artist um so, you mentioned the ones your favorite pieces, and I said a couple people also uh, shared that they, they like those as well. But what's been the most, I guess, popular pieces that have uh, been selling?
1: I mean, anything like the Monarch people are passionate and seem to like what we're doing. And it's amazing because we, uh, you know, we've, we kind of developed like doing the Monarch based stuff, it like, kind of went along with us. Starting to plant milkweed and noticing more and like you know really bringing more butterflies around and and so that kind of um, I don't know, it's just kind of a nice parallel thing where we were getting more into it and then people who who are into monarchs as well started finding it and they're just a nice um, you know feedback loop of of encouragement so I I mean all that stuff has been very rewarding to people's reaction to it right
0: well on that note you also raise money for like monarch joint venture um, mm-hmm. have you done anything else with anybody else
1: yeah so um our usual thing right now is like we'll uh, like with our the, the monarch chrysalis pin that we raise money for the joint venture we you know donate a part of the proceeds from each sale um and basically when we just reach a certain threshold we'll we'll send them a donation so we just Sent them a two hundred dollar donation, which is mind blowing. Like, uh, it was nice to see this like be embraced and, and be able to do that. Um, so we've done a variety of things um, since I don't know for the last like know, for other seven years we've done all sorts of pro bono work for our local raptor rehabbers, Indiana Raptor Center. Um, and that's from anywhere from like the, their website to posters to their annual like season uh, appearance rack cards they put in the tourism centers.
0: Um,
1: so that's, that, we've done quite a bit of good stuff for them and I think help them get the word out about what they do. Um, then directly raising money, we've run um, uh, the Snake Shop, which is a portion of like, it's a little Bubble store, Redbubble, mm-hmm. like a print on demand website. Um, for to raise money for the, um, the um, advocates for snake preservation. So every year, we just at the end of the year, we tally up what we have sold and cut them a check. And then um, David Steen as well, who's a snake, he, I mean, he's a general biologist, but he's known for doing snake identification on Twitter.
0: Yeah.
1: So we've like to support his efforts as well, like kind of put that money there. Um, but yeah we try to I mean other than like also being members of like you know local organizations like the Indiana Native Plant Society and stuff like that we're always looking for opportunities to give back and I mean the nice thing is like you know we're we're not we're not rich but like the money that we bring in from the Etsy shop right now it allows us to be like oh wait okay we can like funnel some of this to these good causes and Um, you know, hopefully get people excited and and, and spread the word about them as well at the same time.
0: Right. Um, You mentioned David Steen, and he was one of the people I wanted to talk to talk about a little bit. Um, Just about your other commissions that you've developed logos. Uh, I mean, you've talked about several of them here already. But um, yeah, I'm just I, you know, I very know very little about his Wildlife Foundation, other than I know it's just recently started in the last few years. But um are you familiar with it do you know enough to like talk a little bit about that
1: yeah yeah so we uh started kind of working with Steen. i don't know how we initially got friendly with him but we did some social media graphics specifically he just wanted stuff interesting eye-catching images this year when he's uh, identifying snakes on twitter and then we just would I don't know, we just always have kept in contact with him and done little things for him. And then he started the Alongside Wildlife Foundation because I think he was a, about the time he was leaving academia. And, you know, kind of frustrated, I think, with like just the general, um, general atmosphere of how things are, are funded in the sciences and how little funding there really is for direct, like on the ground natural history research observational stuff just to get us like understanding like what animals are actually doing in the environment. So he started this foundation as a way to like do small grants. Um, I think at most they're made. I think most of them are like a few hundred dollars. I'm, I can't, do that, but you know, just, you know, small scale studies that can be funded with, you know, not too much money. And then he can, you know, basically reviews these grants i think on a rolling basis okay to that but he's yeah his um his first grantee was jason ward who now has this amazing uh birds of north america web series um so i don't know i think he's been able to do some good stuff to you know just help especially younger researchers i think like um you know, be able to get out and do some field work they might not have been able to do.
0: Right. Yeah, when I was on Twitter, he was one of the people I uh, would follow pretty closely. And then I kind of got off Twitter because yeah. Twitter just kind of became, you know, what it is. Yeah. <laughs> um. So when I saw that you d- designed his logo, I was yeah. like, oh, well, There's like this, you know, six de- six degrees of separation sort of thing going on. Yeah. And it was pretty cool.
1: Yeah, he's he's awesome. We really enjoy working with him. We haven't gotten to meet him in person yet, but we... We really want to go out to, uh, to the, uh, the sea turtle that
0: we're working with now. Yeah.
1: Yeah. South Carolina.
0: Earlier, you talked about uh, a little bit about the ge- geography and geology of mm-hmm. Indiana, but maybe you can talk about your special habitats and parks and places that you guys go to on a frequent basis that you kind of uh, you started drawing drawing inspiration from.
1: Yeah. So there are some really good ones. Isn't this part of the? Some good ones up north too, but like we've, I mean, there's a great density of them down here. So, I mean, big names that we would also endorse would be like Brown County State Park, Monroe Creek. Uh, I'm sorry, McCormick's Creek State Park. Um, both like kind of a couple of the bigger state parks um, in terms of visitation that both yeah, we'll have great, great scenery. Uh, Turkey Run is another one that has. Geology nobody would expect to see in Indiana, like these fancy gorges. Um, you know, it's almost like, you know, you go down into these, like, sheltered ravines that are just dripping with ferns, and it's beautiful. Wow. Um, there's, there's one near there called Shades State Park. Um, these are both in, like, the western part of the state, um, which is less, like, so Shades State Park, a little less traveled, but has these amazing, um, You can, you can, it basically goes down to this creek, uh, Sugar Creek, and you know, you're starting on the uplands and you go down to the creek, but you can choose any one of like a number of ravines and taking either the low trail or the high trail up on the the ridge. Um, Just gorgeous. Um, Lesser known places, we we have a really great um, uh, land conservancy down here called Sycamore Land Trust. And they have some amazing sites. Our, our favorite—that's really inspired us to get. It, it's kind of the first wetland we've experienced, and inspired us to learn more and like about them and about their special needs and, and what they do for for us. It's called Bean Blossom Bottoms, and it's like 10, 10 miles from our house. Um,
0: hmm.
1: It's like a reclaimed old farm, uh, and just all the eagles nesting there, and all manner of. Um, snakes and herbs and stuff. So it's, cool. It's pretty amazing.
0: Um, we talk about bald eagles and snakes. I guess what kind of uh, wildlife encounters do you guys usually see? I'm, I know you seem to be kind of into the bugs, which <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still really working on bugs. So. Yeah,
1: I had to work on it too. I, I was—I uh, have a startle reflex that has never gone away. So, like uh, grasshoppers, it's like I enjoy them, but like. Anything that's going to hop re- really quickly, it'll startle me.
0: Yeah.
1: But I think, especially through photography, like I got over some of my younger sort of wickiness about. Yeah. Um, and I'm just, yeah, I'm just more and more fascinated by them. But, and so, like, certainly, like in our yard, uh, in growing native plants the way we have for the last 10 years or so, um, getting generally getting away from, you know, tipping away at the amount of lawn we have year by year, like, you know, just the amount of things that we are able to attract here. Like we really do have meaningful nature experiences in our yard. Um, Sometimes it's like, I remember seeing a, uh, a yellow jacket and a harvestman, daddy long legs. they are also called kind of like sparring over dead earthworm. And it's like, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there's a little spot in my backyard, and it's like this drama that's that's like you see on the Serengeti, you know. So right that that stuff is is inspiring. Um, but we have had some more like charismatic big experiences that we always we love talking about. Um, like one time here in Brown County State Park, we we had I think four years ago maybe we saw the first timber rattlesnake of the year. Mm. Um, That was exciting. We went back to the nature center and saw the naturalist and he's like, Oh, you're the first one to report it this year. (laughs) That was, I was super excited. Um, um, We, I think the, the most awesome experience was we were hiking. uh, It was about, I think 2012, we took this big road trip around natural um, national parks and we were, at the, uh, the Rocky Mountains, and just on this trail, uh, it wasn't actually part of the formal park, I don't think, but it was nearby. Walked out quite a ways. On our way back, we like realized we were kind of in this low, kind of marshy area. There was a whole family of moose.
0: Oh, nice!
1: were moments where we we're just like, oh, okay, we're gonna take it real slow, yeah, and like not spook them, but. Yeah, that trip we also saw, we also like saw, had two close encounters with with bears in Sequoia, which were um, incredible. It's like we were walking on a path and all of a sudden Jenny starts walking a little faster and like (laughs) like trying to like, her tone got very calm. It's like keep walking, uh, look back when you get a chance and there's like there's a bear like less than 20 feet off the trail nice. uh, foraging, foraging it was like high time for like berries and stuff so uh that was yeah I don't know There, you know for and I, I do love like all of our small encounters with little little, little critters, but there's certainly something we said for awesome moments like that where you know you just all of a sudden the world becomes about this one yeah <laughs> enormous cr- creature that. <laughs> Kennedy.
0: right now do you guys have bears in indiana
1: uh yeah i think we have one uh there's supposedly one that like uh came up from kentucky a few years ago okay um i haven't heard of a spotting lately um in a few years but I, I hope he's still out there or she's still out there in the national
0: forest. Okay. okay yeah i wasn't sure um you know i know we have them in far West Texas and supposedly yeah. every now and then they come into East Texas from Louisiana, but we haven't really had a good bear yeah. sighting in this area in a long time. So.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, more power to them. I hope they're able to.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, to make their, make their way and uh, not uh, attracting unwanted attention from.
0: Yeah. People. <laughs> yeah. um. Do you guys have, I'm sure you have bobcats and I guess coyotes. Yeah. I guess those would be your bigger predatory animals.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, we we actually just now started seeing coyotes here in our neighborhood. They've been like around. Um, we've seen, seen a coyote twice in our neighborhood, which is pretty awesome. Um, there's one, uh, you know, it's kind of one of those almost like, uh cryptid type things but supposedly there is a uh a mountain lion here um this kind of thing where like somebody reports that a horse was killed or something or you see a pretty pretty decent looking camera trap video or picture and it's like yeah that that could be a mountain lion
0: right Uh, so yeah (laughs) yes it'd be cool if if we got some more if the mountain lions repopulated the east but i don't know how well that would go over with, yeah, with i people. know
1: i know i mean it's hard enough with smaller smaller predators you know it is it's hard to imagine but we have so many deer and, and you know yeah. that's a controversial thing about how you deal with that right well, of natural predation would be not a bad way to do it
0: <laughs> right <laughs> but,
1: yeah i don't know I don't know how people's attitudes will change for that.
0: Yeah. Um, you talked a little bit about your garden just a minute ago, but, and yeah. I tried to look and see if I saw some of your pictures on Flickr, but I really didn't get a good grasp on your garden. How yeah. big is your is your lot? And I guess what have you guys done over the last 10 years?
1: So we inherited, um, well, didn't inherit, we uh, purchased uh, this home from a uh, friend of ours actually uh who jenny used to work with and it's about it's a little under a half acre uh it's a kind of a long deep lot and uh, when we moved in it was mainly grass um except the backyard the backyard's like surprising to people because we're on a fairly busy street but then it's completely sheltered we've got like a windbreak of white pines and um, there's actually a hemlock growing back there, a couple big maples, um, but then there's also, there was also a lot more invasive stuff than there is now. A lot of honeysuckle and privet, which is almost completely gone now. And then we have an invasive uh, vine here, at least, I don't know how common it is across the country, It's called purple winter creeper.
0: Mm, no, I'm not familiar with that one.
1: It's related to like the invasive burning bush. It's a vine and if you let it grow. If you feel it, let it climb too high at fruits and then spreads. and it's uh, ubiquitous here. So, we had, and when we moved here, like a few years after that, was when I really became knowledge started to learn about native plants and invasive plants. Because when I was doing my MFA work at Indiana University, um, I ended up working with Heather Reynolds, who's an amazing biologist here. Um, he has a lab here that basically works on eradicating invasives and and restoring native uh, woodland flowers to a, a woodlot you know, on the Indiana University campus called Wood. So that I I don't know that was in, immediately enraptured learning all this stuff and we'd talk about it and then you know we'd be out we'd go get an ice cream and be walking and be like oh there's more invasive stuff oh there's oh man, look at all that winter creeper, look at all that English ivy <laughs> and, and we it both kind of capture captured both our attention and then yeah it it, it is kind of fuzzy, almost like growing like starting the business we just started we knew we didn't want all this lawn and um so we just started designing beds i when I say designing, I just mean like ripping up sod and trying things out. Um, yeah. And we, we got our first, like, initial hit of native plants from the Indiana Wildlife Federation, who does them, sells them as a class, you know, as, as plugs, as a fundraiser um, several years ago. And then since then, that, that, you know, some of those plants, a lot of those plants actually are still going strong um, very drop seed and um, yeah, all kinds of stuff flower for the course but um yeah so we just like for a few years we would just add a new bed um, each season and now I'd say like our front yard is maybe a third of the lot is mostly mostly flower beds um it takes like 10 minutes to mow like there's just kind of rings of grass around (laughs) some, some beds yeah I need to. I really do want to better do a better job of like documenting the the entire space. But I know we have lots of like kind of close up or detail shots, um, but yeah, it's um, yeah, it's certainly like the the insect and wildlife oasis on our block. Or we were talking to a neighbor recently, and he's like, "I think you guys are the reason that we're seeing all these butterflies." I'm like, "Yes, probably." We will share plants with
0: you. <laughs> <laughs> you can have this too and enjoy the butterflies. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I like that. Uh, when you start doing things other people notice and they finally, hopefully change their attitudes at least.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's like part of like what we like doing with Blue After. It's like we try to think of things that will spur like productive, fun conversations for people to have. It's- you know, those of us who are, like, kind of geeky about doing these things, um, whether we're more into plants or insects or whatever, it's, like, it's fun to get started on it, but it's, you can't just start Right. <laughs> pouring your heart out to people. It's, like, it's nice to have that little hook where somebody asks, like, what does that mean you're a cat person? What is that? Like, <laughs> you're talking about monarchs for a half hour. So. I
0: put I put that sticker on my car, so I'm kind of wonder what people think. Nobody's asked yeah. me anything yet, but yeah, I'm sure, well, someone will.
1: Yeah, I hope somebody
0: does. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, well, I guess speaking of conversations, we can talk about your um, your button is the uh, that I really like, and I, I need to get it. It's the uh, hmm. I support science, and I vote. Yeah, um, yeah. I really like that button, and I yeah. guess I want to know. What kind of conversations has has it drawn?
1: Um, that Yeah, that was one where we, we just loved like old uh, campaign buttons and things and just coming up, you know, in one of the election seasons, we thought it'd be fun to do that. So, um, yeah, it's always, uh, it's always, I'd say it might actually be the number one thing that makes people stop. Like if they're just, just kind of like reasons by our table when we're at events like we'll often have people stop and look at that and kind of give it a chuckle or like give a, you know, a fist bump or something like that, or sometimes just buy it on the spot. Um, and I think, yeah, I don't know. I just think it speaks to a need to have like a, a positive sort of um, and do sort of spirit about, yeah. yeah, this is a good thing. This is something that, that helps us all that, Serve to be a bridge between different communities, and yes, I support it. And, and right at the ballot box, um, yeah, it's like it, a lot of our our things that we've done where we're talking to people about it. It's just like the right. I mean, you're surrounded by biologists, and yeah, and right. So it's just like, yeah, I think they're glad to see a couple dorky artist types of, <laughs> um I, I hope it's I hope it is something that's bringing conversations. All sorts of people.
0: I can deviate a little bit to your interest in paleontology for a second too. Yeah. yeah. I guess, how did, how did you get into that? Because that's a very interesting niche.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. I was always into it growing up. Like I, I grew up like within a half hour or so of the Field Museum of Natural History in Chicago, which has always been evolving, but always like having interesting, awesome paleontology collections. Um, and I don't know. It's just always a thing that I liked and I didn't grow out of. And I remember I was working kind of just an office job about 10 years ago. And I was at a party and one of my friends who's a history buff was like naming all the presidents. And I was like, I can do you one better. Like you name 40 presidents. I can name over 40 dinosaurs. And (laughs) And then, and then I just thought it'd be funny to like, Fun just to start a little blog, so I started a blog I called "Love in the Time of chasmosaurs Uh, chasmosaurs is like basically the family of dinosaurs, part of, and and that actually grew into something surprisingly. I don't know what I think I I'd started because I also have always been into thrifting, and I'd find these cool old dinosaur books, and I was like, "Man, these are really neat!" I just want to feature these artists and even if they were like children's books that are, you know, old and outdated, like the art was so cool. And
0: yeah.
1: It kind of helped it, helped it like kind of get an audience. And then I was smart enough to bring on a couple other writers who, um, you know, are very, especially one in particular, Mark Vincent, who's really awesome at those old uh, literature kind of posts, all vintage dinosaur art. So, it kind of, at that point, it became, like, you know, 2009 to 2011, like, it became an actual, like, sort of going hobby for me, like, to engage with the, like the community um, around paleontology online and, you know, contribute through this blog.
0: Right. Awesome. And you wrote, of like, a little children's book, too, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Jenny and I, like, when I was doing my MFA, we... I. We were joking around one day, like coming up with just goofy kind of animal characters, and came up with this mopey mammoth, kind of this Eeyore type mammoth character. <laughs> and I'd done some little sketches, and then we just thought it would be fun to do like a little ABC book where you took a different extinct animal and like paired it with a right or alliterative word. So, mammoth is mopey, velociraptor is vainglorious, stuff like that. <laughs> and you know, just as I was doing my studies, we just kind of like brainstormed this book, and then decided to make it happen. And we started a, a Kickstarter, or not a Kickstarter. It was actually the Indiegogo campaign, crowdfunding platform. And yeah, we got it funded. Um, <laughs> to our surprise, we we raised enough money to do night on, on a thousand hardcover copies. Wow! And feature like weird, kind of obscure animals in it because bring attention to the, the little weird <laughs> weird critters of, of the ancient
0: world. Right.
1: Um, some popular ones. Cool.
0: Um, well, I guess maybe you want to wrap up a little bit. Do you sure. have any tips or resources for people who are interested in, uh, I mean, either getting into natural history in Indiana or in general, or any people who may be interested in doing art? Do you have any resources, books, people, podcasts? Anything?
1: Yeah. Um, for me, I mean, I really engage mostly with the art community uh, through Twitter and Instagram. And uh, just like browsing hashtags, really, I, I just love doing that. Um, also, I'm on Twitter as uh, Anato Titan, at Anato Titan, A N A. E-O-T-I-T-A-N. And I curate lists on Twitter. I like to use the list function. So I have some good, like, art artist lists Okay. To check out. Um, and some of my... Uh, I've made some really good friends through through social media and the art world, like illustrators and paleo artists and people like that. Um, I uh, As far as, like, Indiana stuff goes, there's a... Uh, there's, I mean, the uh, ultimate book is uh, called The Natural History of Indiana, but it's huge. Um, but if you can check it out from a library or something, it's worth doing. Um, but there's also a book that came out last year or the year before by a guy named Stephen Higgs. Um, oh, it's a great, great little book. Um, that, uh, it's called The Guide to the Natural Areas of Southern Indiana. Okay. And it's a really good one if you, you know, are you going to be in the area and you're not sure what you want to see? He does this great uh, breakdown of the different like bioregions of southern Indiana and gives their natural history, like deep time history, and then really great little descriptions of all these different sites uh, in southern Indiana to check out.
0: Okay. And I guess where can people find? Blue Aster Studio online and uh, in real life. Yeah, Maybe so. Up- um, upcoming events, I guess.
1: Sorry. Yeah. so <laughs> online online uh, anywhere you go. We're at Blue Aster Studio. So Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, and then our website, blueasterstudio.com. Um, in real life, we have, let's see, we just did the Indiana Academy of Sciences meeting and we have three coming up. And we have the Pet Paw Palooza in Bargersville, Indiana. Um, and we have uh, Indiana's Earth Day Festival in Indianapolis. That's April 20th. Uh, Pet Paw Palooza is April 28th. And then March, I'm sorry, May 3rd, we are at the Horticultural Society of Newfields uh, at the uh, Indiana uh, Museum, Indianapolis Museum of Art. They're
0: awesome awesome well thank you for taking the time to chat with me and i'm just in all of what you guys do i love everything about uh what you guys are doing so
1: appreciate it yeah thanks for thanks for having me on and enjoying the podcast and i look forward to listening more and sharing it awesome our twitter awesome. people
0: yes <laughs>